Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for The Everyday Guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Welcome to It Could Happen Here, the only podcast where the hosts asks all listeners and guests to provide their social security number and bank account number, <coughs> routing number, all that good stuff. Um, this is a podcast about how things aren't always great uh, and maybe are kind of falling apart a little bit. And, and it has also not been, for the most part, a podcast about the expanded war in Ukraine um, for a variety of reasons. Uh, we have done some coverage of that, uh, but we focused specifically on stories of individual people. And, and that's generally where I feel like our strength is as a program. But people have been repeatedly requesting we do a little bit of a bigger picture look at what's gone on in that conflict. And so I have brought Aram Shambanian into the studio. Aram, how are you doing, buddy? Oh, not too bad, man. How are you doing today? Fine and dandy like sour candy. Now, would you describe kind of your your uh, who you are and what you do and why uh, why you're you're someone people should listen to when we're talking about a conflict uh, like this? Because you are one of the people who 
when everyone was like, there's no way Russia will invade, was was saying, well, <laughs> it might happen. Yeah, I mean, um, well, I think one of the things that, that sets me aside from a lot of other analysts out there is that I never thought I would become an analyst and I never thought that I would do this. Um, I, it wasn't set in stone for me from the beginning. I thought I was going to be like a high school history teacher. And so I've always studied the world, uh, in terms of reading books on different conflicts around the world. And, and I've tried to keep appraised on where these books have led to, right? So if I read a book about the second Congo war, it makes sense to then follow current events that are related to what happened after the second Congo war. Yeah. As a result, I followed things going on in Ukraine starting in 2014 with Yaromaidan, um, and elsewhere in the world, but, but Ukraine has been one that I've focused on pretty heavily because, um, there's been a lot of information about Ukraine ever since 2014, because of how late the war happened in terms of human history and in, in terms of recent conflicts, 2014, isn't that long ago. Um, and so, uh, I started following it back then. And I think that if you combine modern open source tools, modern technology, some of the stuff that organizations like Bellingcat can do with traditional research and, and, and knowledge, some of the stuff that I've done in school, you have a really powerful tool to combat disinformation. Um, and I think that's one of the best tools we have to combat disinformation is wedding OSINT with traditional research. Um, but yeah. And yeah, when it comes to open source intelligence, um, the Ukrainian war is actually kind of one of the, it's not the conflict where that really started to become a thing that would probably be the Libyan civil war when, when that um, began to be something people were talking about in a, a big way. But the Ukrainian, the invasion of Ukraine by Russia in particular in, in 2014 um, is really where open source intelligence kind of came into its own in a really widely known way. That's when Bellingcat's reporting on um, the downing of MH117 like went out. And that was kind of like the first first really huge international story involving like open source intelligence cr cracking a case. Um, and now since the expanded invasion of Russia back in February, we've kind of entered, and again, this isn't really where this period started, but this has been kind of We've seen an explosion of what I think would be fair to call open source intelligence disinformation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, you want to talk a little bit about kind of some of the stuff that you've seen? Because there's there's a number of accounts claiming to be doing OSINT on the Ukrainian war. Um, and boy, howdy, they, they are not all giving out good information. And it, it can be difficult for people to tell what they should trust, because if you're if you're kind of just scanning over it, bad OSINT or even outright fake OSINT can look very similar to good OSINT. Right. And, and so I, I would put a lot of the OSINT community into four rough categories. Uh, there's uh, OSINT analysts, and those are pretty rare. Those are the kind of people who combine what they're seeing in real time on social media with a background of knowledge in the area. So like a Ukraine regional expert combining that with what they're seeing happen in Ukraine, that's an OSINT analyst. There are some Twitter accounts that are more OSINT aggregators. They don't really have much analysis that they put into what they're, what they're producing, but they spit out a lot of information in real time. And so if you follow the right ones that use the right sources, you can get some pretty decent information from them. Then there's more of the misinformation aggregators, which are accounts that just kind of spread whatever they see without regards to whether it's true or not. Um, they'll sensationalize stories. You know, if there's the... Uh, 
a rare command and control plane takes off somewhere in America that's known as the doomsday plane during the cold war, they'll tweet out the doomsday plane is in the air. It doesn't mean yeah. clear war. Right. And they're not doing it to be hurtful. They're doing it for likes. And then yeah. there's disinformation aggregators who are deliberately out there trying to sow discord and sow problems. And those are four categories that I've seen all of them develop in their own ways in the yeah. last 10 years. Um, I think the best, best example of that final category there's a, an account on Twitter called SMM Syria. And if you look at the account, it looks almost identical to the OSCE's special monitoring mission to Ukraine. Mm-hmm. It takes the same kind of graphics and it has the same kind of terminology, but it's an Assadist disinformation outlet. And so, but they've woven their way into if you just took a casual glance at the war in Syria, you might believe that it's a valid source. And that's the kind of more malicious disinformation that I'm talking about, where like they know what they're doing and they're trying to confuse people. And it's, there's, you know, I think one of the best examples of something that really struck me recently as problematic in in the war in Ukraine is you've got a video going around um, of that purports to show Ukrainian soldiers shooting captured Russian soldiers. Um, which is a war crime. And uh, I think credible people within the OSINT community have said, this is something that desperately needs to be investigated more seriously. This, this like, is very, has a very good chance of being legitimate and people should be looking into this. Whereas you've also seen folks who kind of reflexively jumped to uh, defend Ukraine against these allegations, putting out what I think is fairly shoddy OSINT claiming to show like issues with the video and stuff. And it's like people circling blurry sections of the video and saying like, this is, you know, looks like it could be edited or this doesn't look credible. And it is the kind of thing. I think one reason people get tripped up by that is prior to the invasion of Ukraine, there were some Russian false flag events that involved like cadavers, bodies that had been autopsied and stuff, which was broken down by people like Elliot Higgins at Bellingcat. Um, And one of the things that, again, if you're just kind of looking at the surface level, you could see like, oh, well, that those were videos that were faked. And so these like the OSINT around this people like pointing out different sections of the video looks the same. Some of the differences are, for example... Um, when they were analyzing the bodies in those those false flag footage, they brought in actual, you know, corpse cutter uppers, like morticians, uh, or morticians, something. yes, to to analyze like the cuts in the in the skulls and whatnot, as opposed to again just kind of a guy circling aspects of a video and being like, this doesn't seem right, and it's like. Um, but you can, I can see why people get tripped up by it, and it it is important not to get tripped up by that kind of stuff because um, war crimes are bad. I think is a general attitude that we we both share um, and and should be investigated regardless of like whether or not they're being done by the side who's also towing Russian tanks away with tractors that you're you're on the side of. Right. Like Right. And and I think that that's that's exactly an important distinction to make because like there are certain claims that have come out from the Ukrainian side, certain statements that have come out that as an OSIN analyst, I could probably look into more and maybe poke holes in stuff like the yeah. number of kills that the ghost of key right. has claimed, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, maybe it's not 30 kills or whatever it is that people are saying. Yeah. Maybe he's not real. <laughs> maybe he's not even real, but yeah. that's not harmful as right. much as did these guys shoot people in the legs. Right. Right. And so one of those, 
bears examination just because of the yeah. nature of the claim. The other one, maybe we can examine it after the war when it's not as yeah. It doesn't really matter if there is an, an, a Ukrainian ace fighter pilot who's dropped a bunch of a crazy number, like obviously in a military sense if Russian tra- jets are being downed, that does matter. But like from the perspective of, of people just kind of observing this war uh, as, as news consumers, it doesn't really matter. Whereas whether or not a country gets away with a war crime absolutely matters. And people are treating it with the same reflexive hand wave as they do when they accept these, the ghost of Kiev yes. myths, right? They're saying like, well, no, but I want the Ukrainian side to win this war. So we can't even look into any claims of war crimes. And that's just not how it's supposed to be. Like, no, you condemn the crimes up front and you investigate and you try to move forward. And that's how we prove that we're better than the opposing side. Like that's, that's been the rule in this war. And it's been mm-hmm. the rule in wars past, you know, you, you prove that you're better than your opponents by being more decent. Yeah, and it's it's. I have seen some really unsettling logic from some people along the lines of like, well, these were artillerymen who have been you know shelling civilian areas, so why shouldn't they be be shot in the leg? And the answer is because like that's number one. It is a war crime to shoot captured prisoners. Like that that is a thing that we as a as a species have attempted to make illegal. Um, and prob- and ought to be. It is a thing that like should not be done. And there's actually a wide variety of like tactical reasons why it's bad for Ukraine if Russian soldiers believe they will be shot after being captured. It makes, for among other things, it makes soldiers less likely to turn themselves in. Um, one of the wiser decisions that the Ukrainian government has made in this war has been really deliberately pushing. Um, the idea that like, hey, Russians, if you surrender, we'll pay you. You can get Ukrainian citizenship, like bring in your tanks, you know, land your planes or whatever. Like we'll, you know, we'll make it worth your while, um, which is a lot, uh, uh, which is a, a potentially a force multiplier, right? Um, if Russian soldiers think when I get captured, they will shoot me, then they will fight to the death and Ukraine will lose more people in that fight as opposed to if Russian soldiers think, well, shit, I could actually have a pretty decent life if I just turn myself into these guys and refuse to fight. That means less people you have to fight. Um, so it, it it does it does really matter whether or not this is happening. Um, and it's also just like on a moral level, you you shouldn't accept it. And I, I see some really I think one of the things that I find so unsettling about that logic, like these are uh, these are, you know, artillerymen who have been targeting civilian areas. Why shouldn't they be shot? Um, it's not that much of a leap to like some other shit we saw people saying in Vietnam. You know, these villages are harboring insurgents. Why shouldn't we treat them like the enemy? You know, like the, all of this logic leads to people getting murdered who don't deserve to get murdered. And that is bad. Right. There's the snowball effect, the slippery slope effect with the moral side of it. And then like you're saying, the tactical side of it. I mean, if you look at part of the reason members of ISIS fought so hard in places like Mosul. Oh, God. Raqqa yeah. was because... Once you're in that organization, mm-hmm. your options are a bullet or like a desert cell. Yep. If you're lucky, they're not going to treat you well and reintegrate you into society. Come on. Like, mm-hmm. no, that's not how it works. So you fight like hell, you know, and yep. that's, that's a very basic rule. That's pretty easy to understand. I would think. Um, yeah. So that's why this needs to be looked into. And if it's proven false, if it's proven to not be a correct, uh, true video, yeah. And that just strengthens the Ukrainian side. But if it is proven to be true, it's something that needs to be investigated. It can't be overlooked. It can't be swept under the, under the rug. Just because we we want one side of this war to come out on top doesn't mean that we have to ignore potential yeah. crimes they're committing. Like one a, a good rule of thumb to approach a war from when you're trying to analyze it is that 
there there has never been a side in a war who have not committed war crimes. Um, so that should always be on your mind when you're trying to evaluate the reality of a war crime. It doesn't mean every claim of a war crime is true. That would be a very silly way to translate that. But it does mean that when there is a claim that the side you support has been responsible for a war crime, your default should be this is not impossible. And I should I should proceed from the area that this could have happened and and it should be analyzed without reflexively dismissing it. And also without saying that like war crimes committed by a group of soldiers in a single part of a theater necessarily mean that the the war itself is being prosecuted in a criminal level by that government. Um, no, because, for example, well, I mean, <laughs> I, I was about to say U.S. soldiers committed war crimes in World War Two, but actually the prosecution of that war was criminal in a lot of fundamental ways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we'll um, let that one go for a minute. But, but uh, it do- <laughs> that doesn't mean that like your granddad committed war crimes because right. other U.S. soldiers who were in the field executed, captured German POWs, you know? Um, right. Yeah. Which I think is something people have an easier time understanding when it's not a war they feel the need to have a series of 280 character or less takes on in Twitter. Um, yeah. It's it, that's the weirdest thing about about the social media age and and kind of OSINT in general is that while it does make it very accessible and easy for anybody to get involved in investigating these uh, crimes and these events, it also means that everybody thinks they have an opinion that matters on it, and uh, and and in that sense they they muddy the waters. They they a lot of people can can imitate the OSINT look pretty well. They can circle things in pictures that look similar, or as we saw in Syria a lot, they'd take two pictures of of two totally different dudes and say, these are the same guy, they're both members of al-Nusra, or something like that. And they would compare the eyes and compare the chins and stuff, and it looked kind of like a Bellingcat image, but it wasn't, right? Yeah. That's the danger here, is that like everybody... Can, can can help, but everybody can hurt now too. Yeah, yeah, and, it, and it's one of those things. Every every aspect of this cuts both ways because, like, a thing people started saying, rightfully so, after the invasion or the expanded invasion, I should say, uh, of Ukraine by Russia is like, well, now all of these people who were experts in whatever the last big story was are going to become experts on the Ukrainian conflict, right? Which is absolutely a thing that happened. You get all of these people who I think are pretty bad journalists and reporters who suddenly like rush to to have their commentary on this thing that they have ignored for the last eight years. Um, but at the same time, it's to talk about Bellingcat, the founder of Bellingcat, my old boss, Elliot Higgins, was like literally an unemployed dude sitting on his couch when he started analyzing war footage um, and is now one of the most respected conflict analysts in the world. Um, And that is a thing the internet has made possible. Um, I I think a great example would be the Caliber Obscura uh, Twitter, which is just like a dude in the UK who has an almost impossible ability to recognize firearms and pieces of firearms. And so just analyzes people send him footage from all over the planet and he'll say like these are these guns and this is where they came from and this is uh this one is like looks like this kind of gun but it's actually um a a a fake one that's being made locally in this country and it's supposed to look like this and you can tell because like um that's not a person who caliber did not like go to some sort of fancy gun school they just are uh, uh, I mean, it's definitely not right to call them an amateur because, quite frankly, I don't know any people who are working at institutes and better at the thing that Caliber does than Caliber is, right? Um, but they did just start as a person on Twitter, you know? Well, um, and that's the thing about this. This is that 
you get people who were not kind of born with the idea that they were going to become analysts in this in this field. And so you have people like both of the, both of the people you mentioned, whom I I know personally. I don't know Elliot personally, but I remember him from our days, mm. our shared days on a comedy website together. <laughs> yes, know. the website that shall remain nameless. That shall remain <laughs> nameless, right? Um, and then, and then, you know, uh, Kellerberg and I have have talked on Twitter a bunch, and you know, we're friends there. And it's just interesting to see that, like, both of them are very real people mm-hmm. behind like their professional personality and their their expertise. They're also down to earth, real people, mm-hmm. which is rare in this field because a lot of people are kind of elitist um, and 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 yeah. uh, gatekeeper e. And neither of them are about that. They're both all about like getting as many people doing this as possible because more eyes are better. Like, yeah, uh, Elliot is is. Uh, I mean, the whole reason my career with Bellingcat existed is because like I emailed him out of the blue one day and said, "Hey, I've been noticing this weird thing in videos of fascists." talking to cops, can I write a thing for you? And he was just like, okay. And, and that was, I mean, like that was how that started. Um, and he's, I've met him since a couple of times and yeah, is a very, I think is very informed it, because of the fact that he did not come from sort of this big institutional background, um, has a, has a humility with which he approaches his investigations that, uh, I think, is one of the thing you you should look for in trying to decide whether or not o- o- open source intelligence that you're seeing on Twitter, whatever, is credible? Is how 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 conclusive are they stating their claims are? How many times do they offer only a single possibility for what something is like? Um, you know, there's a number of things you can do. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. 
Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. Just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. I think at this point we should probably move to a separate area of discussion, which is how's the uh, how's this war going? Who's who, who's who's winning? You- um, well, so I I made a statement on uh, my Facebook page, my personal Facebook page, about mm-hmm. three weeks ago. And I still feel confident in that statement. And that is that, uh, well, Ukraine has yet to win this war. Russia's already lost. They've already yeah. lost their objectives. They've already lost what, they, what their goals were. And at this point, it's a face-saving venture but, on the Russian part. But Aram, um, Russia carried out a cunning feint action to distract while they, while they took the east by burning a fifth of their general staff and all of their armored vehicles. It was a cunning fate. Uh, yeah, I saw someone on Twitter posit that it was actually uh, uh, a move to mm. use up all of Ukraine's ammunition. Cut brilliant. Yeah, just <laughs> very, very Zap Brannigan logic right, on behalf right. of Vladimir Putin. <laughs> Uh, Ukrainians have a preset kill limit, and once they hit ten generals, the the army will shut down. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, the war is not going well for Russia. Um, and that's not to say that it's going great for Ukraine either, but Ukraine no. needs to do less well to succeed here. Yes. Than the, Russia the, does. It, it's, uh, I mean, cause one of the things that is a black box, right? I, I do think, cause there was a lot of discussion earlier in the war, particularly like how credible are these numbers that the Ukrainian government is putting out for, for dead and for destroyed vehicles. And I think the OSINT out there like the verified vehicle casualties and stuff that we can verify means that like obviously the ukrainian government is padding their numbers but not by as much as a lot of people might have like it's not wildly off no um, when i saw their first casualty count i think first casualty count i think it was like 2500 dead yeah. and i was like okay guys come on it was on. like day two or three and then like all of the western intelligence yeah I was like, actually yeah they're like yeah it's probably about 2000 <laughs> yeah. like, oh my god like wow <laughs> I mean, yeah, uh, that I, perspective for some people who may not that number may not jump out to them. Mm-hmm. We lost, you know, just shy of three thousand soldiers killed during the Iraq War. So yeah, two thousand in a couple days is an extraordinary number of losses. Yeah, and of course the black box here we don't have nearly as good an information on is what kind of casualties has the Ukrainian military suffered and what kind of civilian casualties have been suffered. And um, obviously, civilian casualties nearly always take much longer to get um, to the extent that it's ever I think we have a better chance of getting objective civilian casualties for this because unlike a lot of other conflicts these civilians being killed are civilians under the aegis of a government that is a functional state as opposed to Syria for example where the there's basically the only people with an interest in accurately reporting the death count are a number of different non-governmental organizations um, because the the people being are being killed by one government or the other right including like this is this was the same thing like in iraq the civilians who died in mosul were technically under the iraqi government's you know 
whatever, protection seems like the wrong word to say. But I can tell you from my experience there, there was no, we still do not have anything that approaches a credible civilian death count for, for that conflict, um, and probably never will. Right. And, and on that note, on the civilian casualties note, um, we were talking earlier about what, um, how you can identify a credible OSINT account versus uh, one that you probably shouldn't give too much credence to. And one of the best ways to do that, honestly, is, is uh, look at their, their morals, I guess. Yeah. If they're ever posting and celebrating the death of civilians anywhere, you should probably disregard them. Like, yeah. you'll never see Elliot Higgins being like, yeah, suck it, people of Belograd. Like, yeah. you got hit with a missile. Like, it's not, it's, you know, it's not going to happen. Yeah, it's not. It's the same thing as like, I I get why people celebrate, uh, you know, battlefield victories. Obviously, I don't think, especially if you're literally a Ukrainian living, you know, in the area affected, I don't think there's anything morally wrong with celebrating opposing soldiers being defeated. But I I am I continue to be deeply unsettled by footage celebrating things like the destruction of armored personnel carriers full of 19 year old kids, um, even though a, a non insignificant number of those 19 year old kids are um, accessories to war crimes. Right. Like it doesn't mean like I'm broadly OK with it. I do. I do feel a lot better about celebrating losses of special forces units like the VDV um, that have been heavily involved in war crimes around the world like that. I have less kind of an issue with, but um, no, and, and I felt yeah. that personally, you know, I'm Armenian and during the Karabakh war in 2020, it was just day every day. I would wake mm -hmm. up to dozens of videos oh, of Armenian conscripts and soldiers being blown up and hunted from the air mm -hmm. and people on Twitter cheering for it because they were for one reason or another on the Azeri side. And like, I get it, you know, like you were saying, you want to cheer your battlefield victories and, and I understand that from people who live on the battlefield and live near the battlefield, I get it. It's happening to you. Sure. But to people thousands of miles away cheerleading on the internet, what the hell is wrong with you? Yeah, maybe don't like, do that. <laughs> maybe don't do that. Like, you, what the hell? Like, you know those are real people in that video that never did anything to you. And this is not like a sporting event where, like, they go home at the end of the day and they've just lost. Like, they're but dead. Even when they do, like, I've spent a huge amount of my career talking directly face to face with victims of ISIS, right? I have been to like eight or nine refugee camps in two countries uh, at this point, specifically for that war, in addition to days spent on the refugee trail in between Hungary and Serbia, talking to to Syrians and talking to um, um, other people who had like fled the region. Uh, but at the same time, I, I can't help but like, like I, I've literally been under fire by ISIS and then had those ISIS guys gotten killed. And I've, I have celebrated and cheered when that's happened. Um, and I'll never forget, we were embedded with this mortar team and we were under fire from this sniper. And the mortar team, I, I forget, you can, in the article I wrote on it, I list the exact number of rounds fired, but it was like nine or 10, something like that, where they're gradually walking in mortars until they, they get this guy. Um, and obviously we like cheered when they fucking killed this dude because he was shooting at us. And I remember like kind of on our way out away from the front, my fixer, Sangar, was like, how many rounds did they drop before they got him? And I was like, I don't know, I think it was like nine or ten. I've got the footage somewhere. And he was like, I wonder what else they hit. And, and Sang Sangar a, 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 like, was born and raised in Mosul. Um, and it was one of those things we spent the very next day, we were like talking to people fleeing their homes and stuff. And 
not only did we like see some of those people who lost family members to misses, um, both by Iraqi forces and by coalition aircraft and stuff, but like we came upon this dead ISIS fighter in a fighting position where you could see he had been in there with his wife for days and he had been wounded two or three days before he got killed. And you could see the evidence of the first aid she had done on him. And it was one of those things, I guess I could try to make the case that like, well, maybe she was a captive and didn't want to do it. But quite frankly, everything I saw in there makes me believe like she cared deeply for him and stayed with him until the bitter end, trying to keep him alive and fighting. Um, And that doesn't mean he's not like a monster and it doesn't mean he shouldn't have been killed because he's a fucking Dashi who was in the middle of doing enabling a series of terrible things. But he's also like. You can't you can't ignore the humanity of of somebody when you have seen that element of what what happens in the conflict. And that has stayed with me quite a bit ever since. Yeah. And and it's it's one of those things, you know, you you gotta you gotta remember that the majority of of young men of fighting age around the world who join a military or an armed organization or an insurgent group, whatever it may be. They do so typically because it's whomever is in charge of the area they're growing up in. Yeah. Right. You don't join the Russian army because you weighed all the options and the Brazilian army offers some good aid, you know, some good healthcare packages. And I looked at the Italian army, but really I want to go with the Russian. No, you go with wherever you were born. Yeah. Whether, and you know, and I was talking to my roommate about this last night, we were watching this footage from the flood of 96 here in Oregon, you know, and it's this, National Guard helicopter where they're pushing bales of hay out of the back of the helicopter down to cows stranded out near Tillamook. And so depending on when you join the National Guard, you either fed cows hay from a helicopter or deployed to Iraq. (laughs) Yeah. That's the luck of the draw, right? Mm -hmm. Like That's not fair. No. They don't deserve to die any more than the guys dropping the hay out of the helicopter did, right? But people get, yeah, they get carried away with like turning it into a sport almost. And they forget that there's people on the other end and that like, while some of them are threats and they may need to be dealt with, it's like, you know, a bear comes at you in the woods, you shoot it. You don't, you don't skin it and make fun of it. Like, yeah, you know, go kill its kids. You know, that's not, that's not how it works, you know? So like, yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't be, don't be a piece of shit. Like don't, 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 don't lose your humanity um, because I mean, one of the things that makes it easy to lose your humanity is that like videos of shit getting blown up looks dope, right? Like it it does. It looks cool to watch things get blown up. That's in fact, I suspect how a lot of people who become very good OSINT investigators, part of what draws them in is just like, I'm sure that was a part of why Caliber started obsessively researching guns is like, they're neat. Guns are neat. You know, weapons are interesting. People are inherently interested in, in weaponry, um, right. which is... <laughs> Not a good thing. It's just a thing. You know, it's not a bad thing either. It's just like a thing human beings will always be interested in because warfare is as natural to us as eating and fucking. Right. Um, well, and- you're talking about the mortars, right? The mortars walking in. And there's this video on, on YouTube of made by an American Navy attack squadron um, of them dropping bomb after bomb on targets in mm-hmm. Mosul and, and, and uh, Raqqa, places like that. Yeah. And it's set to uh, the devil's going to cut you down. And every time there's a, a beat in the music, mm-hmm. you see a bomb drop. Yeah. And some of these bombs, it's like four bombs dropping at a time, dropping an eight story building. And so I'm sure there was a guy inside there with a oh, weapon, yeah. but like, you want to tell me there wasn't anybody else in that eight story building? And like, okay, yeah, you're celebrating the death of the combatant there, but like also all those other people are being celebrated indirectly. Yeah. And so, yeah. like, you got to remember that, like, 
these bombs explode and they take out a large area and these fights are happening in cities a lot of the time. Yeah, the weaponry that the United States uses is more precise than something like a barrel bomb, but not by as many orders of magnitude as you would hope. Um, right. And, yeah. and precision doesn't... Precision matters. Yes. It's not a non-important thing. It's not a non-important <laughs> thing, but ultimately it doesn't matter if your missile went right into that living room full of civilians and blew them all uh, up, or if you leveled the block and maybe, you know, killed them indirectly. Like, you got to know what you're hitting. The target yeah. is what really matters, right? So it doesn't matter if you can hit the target. You got to make sure it's the right target. And that's where we're starting to have issues now. It's like, we can hit targets really well. We just aren't always sure that it's the right. Yes. As opposed, I mean, and, and you are seeing, uh, so let's let's talk about, we, we started this chatting about Ukrainian, a potential Ukrainian war crime. Um, what we have absolute documentation of is a tremendous amount of war crimes on behalf of the Russian uh, invaders, including a thing that they have done repeatedly in Syria, which is the targeting of, of hospitals and, and medical facilities um, with with terrible civilian casualties as a as a result. And this is something that the New York Times actually published an incredible article based on a mix of OSINT and like, I'm not entirely sure how they got them, but combat flight recorders, like the audio that these these Russian fighter pilots were sending back and forth to command as they attacked hospitals in Syria. Um, so we actually have a tremendous amount of detail about like what it looks like inside the cockpit and in like the control room and whatnot as airstrikes are being ordered on medical facilities. I, I really recommend people check that article out. Um, it's it's pretty harrowing shit. But um, yeah, are you are you surprised at all by kind of what you are what you've seen so far in behalf of the Russian forces in Ukraine? No, no, not even not even the slightest. Yeah. Um, because I followed the war in Ukraine, in Syria rather closely. And uh, I mean, there was a point when they had to stop marking the hospitals with hospital markings because the Russians would target yep. them so consistently. The United Nations had to stop giving the Russians the coordinates of the hospitals in, in Aleppo because they kept getting targeted. Um, there was an aid convoy that was struck, I believe, by Syrian aircraft, but it was mm -hmm. the targeting was given to them by Russian aircraft. Um, it was just an aid convoy coming into Aleppo, a United Nations aid, aid convoy, and it was bombed and strafed repeatedly for you know several hours. Um, things like that that happened so regularly in Syria to the relative silence of the rest of the world um, that led me to believe that when they go into Ukraine, they're not going to be any gentler. Um, a lot of people suspected early on that like, well, they it's harder to demonize people who look like you, so they're not going to have as much of an easy time demonizing Ukrainians. And I think there has been some degree of difficulty with that, uh, at least in terms of some of the conscripts on the Russian side. But the other thing we're seeing is that like a lot of these, a lot of people seem to genuinely believe the mission of denazifying Ukraine. And so yeah. if that's what you believe you're doing, then the, the bombing doesn't surprise, doesn't become a surprise, right? If you think that you're going into Ukraine to suppress it and occupy it, then bombing cities full of Russians, Russians and Russian speakers seems like a bad idea. But if you yeah. believe that they're all Nazis, then it makes sense that you might just blow them up because they're all the enemy. I'm not saying yeah. I'm not condoning it. I'm saying no, but I mean, that is literally right. what the U S government and the British government did in world right. war two, you know? Right. Exactly. Um. Um. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. Just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. There have been claims made that what Russia is doing in places like Mariupol um, amounts to an act of genocide. Um, what is your opinion on that? Genocide is a big word. Uh, it is, it is. There's a ton of a big word. It's yeah, um, but you know, it has a lot of meaning behind it in the sense mm-hmm. that, like, just because somebody is killing large numbers of people and doing so in heinous ways does not make it a genocide. You have to prove yeah. it was an attempt to destroy culture and destroy heritage and things of that nature. Um, as it stands, I would say that it looks likely that there are signs of potential genocide, yeah, in Mariupol. I am not confident enough to come out and say that I th- conclusively think it's happening, but the way that it looks like the the city is being deliberately targeted to either force the entire population to flee or to radicalize them. Yeah. One way or the other is it goes beyond military uh, targeting. Yeah. You know, it, I think the thing that were that I, that is the most like troubling potential sign of, of an intention of genocide is the reports that the Russian government has been evacuating civilians that they have cat in parts of Mariupol. They have captured to, 
places in Russia, right. um, which is this is a misconception. You don't have to just be killing people. As you stated, it's an attempt to destroy a culture, which you can do by killing, but you can also do by things like separating people, moving people, like forced migration and whatnot. Like there, there's aspects of that. Again, look at like the genocide of the Native Americans in the United States. It was not all straight up killing. A lot of it was forced migration, um, which is an act of genocide as well. Um, and that's the kind of thing where I'm I'm kind of waiting for more reporting on that uh, to the, the to see hear exactly what's happening and the extent to what's happening. But that really troubles me in terms of potential signs of a genocide. Yeah, and when they when they coined the term genocide after World <laughs> War II, it, it was a uh, it was with reference to the Holocaust. But but what they had in mind was the Armenian genocide. Uh, yeah, it, when it when they when they drafted these yeah. words up and. and because it was beyond just sheer number of people killed. If we're talking sheer number of people killed, the Nazis also killed 6 million other people. Yeah. In addition to the 6 million Jews they killed. <laughs> the yeah. reason we talk about the Jews is one, 6 million is a lot of people. And two, it was a deliberate attempt to destroy their entire culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And make them have never existed. Yeah. And that's very different and very scary. Dying is also very bad. Yeah. But the idea of dying and then all of the people who were like you just don't exist anymore and all your books yeah. and your literature are gone, like that's that's monstrous. Yeah. And it, that's why there's a difference between genocide and mass killing. Yeah, and, and it's it's the difference like we talk about US war crimes in World War II, of which there were many, including the firebombing of Dresden, I would argue. But it's not an act of genocide because when they firebombed Dresden, it was certainly um the killing of civilians without particular regard to the direct military efficacy of the action, but it was not an attempt to destroy German culture or obliterate the German people. And uh, you brought up the Armenian genocide. We'll, we'll talk about this at some point on Behind the Bastards, but you mentioned that that was kind of what the people, when the term genocide was invented, that was what people were looking at, even though it was kind of a direct response to the Holocaust. It's also worth noting that like, when the Nazis planned the Holocaust, they used the Armenian genocide as a model. Um, Hitler's literal statement was when people, when he was asked during like one of his his dinners with a bunch of Nazi officials, like what uh, what about kind of the international reaction to what we're planning to do? He was like, well, who remembers the Armenians? You know, like that was his that was his attitude. Is like we'll get away with it because nobody did anything during this genocide, right? Um, and 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 I think while. I would hesitate to call the entire war in Ukraine a genocide. Yes. As of yet, I would say that there's a similarity between the Armenian genocide and the, and how that led to the Holocaust. There's a similarity between the Russian war crimes committed in Syria and how that led to the war crimes being allowed, uh, committed in Ukraine yeah. in the sense that if the world had stood up earlier, we would not be seeing this now. Yeah. The problem is the world looked the other way when the Russians bombed hospitals in Syria when they repeatedly bombed hospitals. In fact, the world didn't just look away. A lot of people in the West mocked it. I, I'm sure you've heard it as often as I have, the last hospital in Aleppo joke, right? Where mm -hmm. they're, oh, they're bombing the last, last hospital in Aleppo again. Well, the reason that happened is because when you bomb the hospital, they build a new one, and then it gets bombed again three days later, so they've bombed the last one again. So it wasn't a joke. It was just a tragedy that kept playing out that people couldn't really fathom, so they mocked. Mm -hmm. Right, and, and so when that's the attitude of a lot of the world, it's no surprise that what's what's happened in Ukraine has has run out of control. Mm -hmm. 
where do you think we go from here? What are you, what are you expecting to kind of see next within this conflict? You know, we, we, the most recent kind of reporting is that Russia's pulling, Russia's framing it as they're pulling back from Kiev to to focus on other fronts. Uh, the Ukrainian side is saying like, well, they've been defeated around Kiev and they're pulling back. What do you think kind of we're seeing next? What, what is your opinion on kind of the next stages here? So I think it really depends on Vladimir Putin's power and how long he remains in a position of unchecked power. I'm not saying necessarily that he will fall from power. I'm saying that how long can he go as the only guy calling the shots? Because as it stands right now, it doesn't look like he's the same Vladimir Putin that we were used to dealing with. It seems like something may mm-hmm. have changed with him. And that's a wild card because if, if Vladimir Putin wants to continue to escalate here, he can continue to do so because he may not be getting the same reporting that we are about the condition of his army. He may think his army is doing better than they're doing and that they actually are just repositioning. So if that's the case, there's a chance that he'll escalate against potentially a NATO country. I find that unlikely but there's still a chance for it. I think what's more likely is that we're going to see the Russian military refocus its efforts in the east, in in Donetsk and Luhansk, uh, with an attempt to create a land bridge to Crimea through the area, through Mariupol and Melitopol Mm -hmm. area. Um, And I think they're going to try to russify the area as much as possible uh, and remove as many of the Ukrainians as possible um, one way or the other. And I don't know if they'll be successful in that, but I think simultaneously while they do that, they're going to try to tie down and destroy as much of the Ukrainian military as possible. Um, which will be difficult because the units in the East are Ukraine's best equipped units. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how this ends. I, I don't see a, a reasonable end to this in sight, but that's just because there's too many variables at the moment. Yeah. I do think one thing that's kind of worth looking at this war in a historical context, a number of comparisons have been made to both of the world wars here. Um, I think the thing that it most reminds me of is World War One, not in that it's a, a conflagration on that scale or in that um, it's a similar war in terms of the combat. But it is an example of the first big war that utilizes a variety of weapons and tactics that have been battlefield tested in a series of smaller wars, right? Um, and I, I think we are seeing in Ukraine for the first time the actual I think one thing that we have seen is that drones, and I'm not talking about the big ones here. You know, they get a lot of the Bayraktar and stuff like get that gets a lot of attention, but like small, the kind of drones anyone listening to this could pick up and buy today, right? Those drones, I think, are proving to be a game changer on a tactical level in a similar manner to the machine gun in in the the turn of the last century. Um, yeah, the century before the last century. Yeah. Well, with, with the drones, I've often machine guns a good uh, good comparison. I've often thought of it as like the airplane, in yeah. that we had airplanes and we even had combat airplanes before World War One. We didn't have very many of them because nobody really realized the utility of them in war. And then as the war got closer and then the war started, countries started to slowly build up these small fleets of aircraft. And then by the end of the war, everybody had an air force. I think we're going to yep. see the same thing with these small consumer drones. Yep. Is that like? By the end of this war or whatever conflagrations are coming after it, every military in the world is going to have yeah. little little, you know, phantom phantom threes or whatever, yep. basically for every infantry squad. One of the things that's so wild is that if if you again, if you sitting here right now have not an insignificant amount of money, let's say three to four thousand dollars, and the uh, enough mechanical like competence to carry out modest repairs on your own car. You could with things entirely available over the shelf, 
build a weapon system capable of disabling a variety of armored vehicles at night. You know, like you that that is a thing that individual people you could do that and you could have it up and running in a matter of days. <laughs> I'm just I'm imagining the next protest in unnamed city. Yeah. Um, and a consumer drone flies over the police line and drops a little thing on him that says bang. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like there's a lot uh, people even even as as influential and and meaningful as they've been on the battlefield in Ukraine. I think people still are kind of slow to understand the extent. Like there is one of the wildest stories that's come out of it is that the Ukrainian military has a an outfit of civilian drone operators using hacked and home-built drones to attack Russian forces at night. Um and they have been the documented ef- efficacy of their raids has been significant. And I can re- I can remember spending a brief period of time with an Iraqi uh, military unit that was just using DJI Phantoms that they had rigged to drop what were essentially mortar shells with shuttlecocks on them from a height. Um, and they were very effective at killing people, um, as ISIS drones were effective at, at sort of spotting you know mortars for folks. Well, and one of the things I saw ISIS use their mor- their drones for to great effect wasn't so much to kill large numbers of enemy soldiers. It was to do the same thing that American predator drones and Reaper drones had done for for decades by that point to terror groups, which is let them know you can't gather in large numbers. Yeah. If you gather in large numbers, you're a target. And so you saw Iraqi soldiers saying no more than two or three in a group. Yep. Any more than that will get targeted, you know, and it's they flipped the equation, basically. Yep. And don't, I mean, I, one of the reasons why, I have a general policy, heavily informed by my time in Mosul, that the last place I want to be in a anywhere near a war zone is an armored vehicle, um, because that's really in, unless you are in something that's heavily up armored, like an MRAP, little bombs dropped by drones can do significant damage to something like a Humvee, and that's exactly what you target. You don't target a Toyota Corolla with a drone like that, unless you specifically know an individual's in that Corolla that you want to kill. But you may just behind the line see a target of opportunity in an armor, see an armored, lightly armored vehicle, and drop a a, a a munition on it. And that's one of the things this has done. There was a lot of talk prior to the expanded Russian invasion about how immediately Russia was going to get air superiority, and that's obviously a bigger story than just drones. There's a lot of factors in why Russia. It's probably accurate to say they have superiority in a number of parts of the war, but they don't have supremacy. Like they, it's not like an absolute matter. And part of that is because um, it's not really possible to a- at this moment. Someday, I suspect there will be more effective ways of stopping drones in, in, in at like a theater level, um, maybe. But it certainly hasn't happened yet. Yeah, yeah, and and that's the thing. You know, there's there's the drones, and then there's also on the Ukrainian side. They, you know. I think they recognize that air force against air force, the Russians have a numerical superiority. Mm-hmm. So you can deny the Russians air supremacy by shooting down their planes with man pads. Right? Mm-hmm. You don't have to have an air force to deny your opponent air no. supremacy. You just have to deny them the ability to freely operate in your airspace. And this is one of those things. There's been a lot of talk about a no fly zone, um, which I tend to think would be a bad idea in the traditional sense in terms of like the U.S. and NATO sending in planes to down Russian planes over Ukraine. There's a number of reasons why that's concerning, but you can effectively establish a no fly zone by shipping in a fuckload of man pads. Right, Um, exactly. Yeah. And I'm not against that. I, I think in terms of what kind of what kind of armed arms support is ethical to provide, giving 
people the ability to stop planes from bombing cities is broadly speaking one of the most ethical things you can do in terms of shipping munitions around the world. Um, right, and the other advantage is that man pads. I'm sure somebody could turn it into a lethal ground weapon, but they're pretty hard to yeah use against ground targets, against houses, things like that. Yeah. Not really what they're designed for. So it's not like just handing over, you know, uh, some indiscriminate weapon to the Ukrainians to use against Russian cities. You're, you're giving them a weapon that's specifically used against military aircraft. Mm -hmm. Like most man pads can't reach the altitude that airliners are at even. So, yep. So I think that's probably what we want to talk about today. Um, you want to plug your pluggables, tell people where they can find you and, and your analysis out in the world. Yeah, so uh, you can you can follow me on Twitter. My uh, handle is at Shabanian Aram, and uh, I work uh, I, I publish occasionally with the New Lines Institute, uh, so you can see my work there as well. And I have a website that I seldom update. Uh, the Foldagap um, hasn't been updated in probably eight months now because I've been tired. But um, yeah, those are the places to find me. And uh, DMs are open on Twitter, mm -hmm. so if you ever have questions or anything like that, let me know. I'm happy to talk with anybody who's got questions on these kind of things. Hell yeah. Well, that's gonna be us. So, you know, enjoy this analysis of the of the war in Ukraine um, before we return you to your regularly scheduled multi-part series on Nazi cat girls, uh, the primary focus of this podcast. Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Spentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. 
Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.